Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Aron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking coffee, sugar, and seed oils. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Eat Red Nutrition Podcast, episode number 118. Today, we're going to talk all about coffee, the effects on your health. Is coffee healthy or not? And we're going to talk about sugar and put it into context. And we're also going to talk about seed oils because that is a hot topic. I do know that we have talked about this, but I think it's an important thing to touch up on because constantly we're bombarded with information about things on social media And I think it is time for us, Nicole, to have some conversations about these. I've actually been meaning to do a coffee episode for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And Nicole and I both say coffee differently, coffee and coffee, (laughs) because we are from two different regions in the Northeast. So maybe we have differing thoughts around coffee because we say them differently. I don't really know. But we'll find out shortly. Um, But before we dive into that, I did want to talk, Nicole, I want to talk to you about this. So I was in class the other day and we're doing these presentations about recent articles in the news as they pertain to nutrition, Mm -hmm. particularly community nutrition. And somebody got on and he did his presentation on the FDA is re they have proposed, I guess, a bill to revamp or like restructure the meaning of the word healthy on a label. I don't know if you heard about this. Yes. A client sent me some stuff. So your clients are always saying they're on top of it. They're really great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I think this is important. It definitely pertains to us and we can talk about a little bit of context here too. So under the proposed definition, in order to be labeled with the healthy quote unquote claim, of food packing, and this is directly from FDA.gov, in order for it to be labeled healthy, it must contain a certain meaningful amount from at least one of the food groups or Mm -hmm. subgroups, so fruit, vegetable, dairy, et cetera, um, recommended by the dietary guidelines. I'll tell you in a moment how I feel about that. Adhere, it must adhere to specific limits for certain nutrients such as saturated fat, sodium, and added sugars. The threshold for the limits is based on a percent of the daily value for the nutrient and varies depending on the food and food group. The limit for sodium is 10% of the daily value per serving, 230 milligrams per serving. Uh, For example, a cereal would need to contain three-fourths ounces of whole grains and contain no more than one gram of saturated fat and 230 milligrams of sodium and 2.5 grams of added sugar. So I guess that's based on the weight. Now, I'm going to say how I feel about this. And Nicole, you can chime in here. So first and foremost, when it comes to food groups, I've always been one to say that I do value the majority of the food groups except for dairy And the reason being is if you remember the got milk ads that we had 
that were and people don't kind of know where this comes from. So essentially what happens is there is a decent amount of lobbying by different industries to get things kind of pushed along. And with dairy, if you look at, for example, the MyPlate, which mm-hmm. that that started under the Obama administration with Michelle Obama kind of getting her hands in the nutrition uh, and the exercise and then the like eat what is it? Eat less, move more type of campaign that she had going on. Mm-hmm. And what the, if you look at the, my plate, it has a cup of milk next to it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at Harvard's version of the, my plate, they made their own version. It has a glass of water. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because you don't need dairy. And this is where it kind of gets sticky with the food politics and stuff like that. You don't mm-hmm. need dairy. And I think oftentimes when I tell people, hey, you don't need to consume dairy, maybe they might be lactose intolerant, which over 70% of people I think are, or 60 to 70%, whatever that number is. Uh, but you don't necessarily need dairy. And one of the first things that people say is, well, where am I going to get calcium from? And I'm like, well, I don't know, nuts, seeds, uh, fish, right? There are plenty of other sources of calcium and you don't need to get your calcium intake from dairy. So using those food groups in general, I'm not a huge fan of the dairy piece. Um, But what I'll say here is the other pieces, it's also based on the daily values, which daily values are based off of 2000 to 2500 calories. And that that's kind of the daily values are kind of an arbitrary number in that, in that case then, because if 2000 mm-hmm. or 2,500 calories, isn't your number of calories that you need to be eating. Yeah. Then, you know, we, we have a value based off of a percentage, you know, it, it's basically kind of arbitrary. And the other piece that I'll say to this is what I thought of is like something like Cheerios, for example, right. Mm-hmm. It's still going to under this classification, it's lower in sodium. It has tons of whole grains in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, I don't think it has any saturated fat in it, right? Mm-hmm. But context is everything. And this is where I get into, and, and this is, I guess, going to kind of lead into the conversation that we're going to have about coffee, sugar, and seed oils, because context is everything. Mm-hmm. When it comes to nutrition, context is everything. So when we're looking at something like, quote unquote, Cheerios and saying, okay, well, this is healthy. Well, I don't know how many servings are you eating? And this is where it gets into where people are pouring a bowl instead of measuring out three-fourths of a cup, which is a typical cereal serving size. And so people can look at these labels and say, well, this is healthy, so I can eat as much as I want. And that is misleading. And we need to be able to learn how to tackle that. Yeah. I think the questions are what are wrong. What's wrong with this whole thing? Like, is a food healthy or unhealthy is not the question. The question is, does the food work for you as an individual? Is it optimal for your body? Is it healthy or unhealthy? I mean, we're going to talk about coffee. Coffee for some people is perfectly fine and they their bodies handle it well. And for other people, it's not. So is it the coffee that's the problem? No. It's how it's used in the diet plan. It's the person that's using it and then the portion of what you're using. So I, I feel like the questions, is it healthy or unhealthy? Because we get I get this all the time. Is cheese okay? Cheese is fucking great as far as I'm concerned. I don't have any issues with dairy. So, you know, I think it depends. It it depends is always the answer. But I think the question should be more, is it healthy for you, Jerome? How does dairy make you feel? How do you feel when you have coffee? Have you ever taken it out and seen what your body is like without coffee? Do you notice anything different? Like the questions that we put out 
about healthy versus unhealthy. The reason why context is everything is because of the person that is using or eating or trying to optimize the food itself. Right. So it depends on the individual, depends on the context of their entire diet, right? Yeah. Why we can't pinpoint one thing. Okay. Well, is saturated fat bad for you? Well, in some cases you need saturated fat. You need a certain amount of saturated fat to make steroid hormone, cholesterol, steroid hormones, right? These things are important. Cholesterol is important for building, uh, aiding in like building the cell wall, right? But too much cholesterol, uh, too much, sorry, too much saturated fat could also be a bad thing, right? So context is everything like, hey, is saturated fat good for me? Well, I don't know. Let's look at your whole diet and see how much saturated fat you're taking in, mm-hmm. right? So just saying, hey, this food is low in saturated fat, like the FDA is doing here. This food in is low in saturated fat. Therefore, this food is good for you. It's it's hard to kind of just put that in. It's hard. And, and honestly, it's a difficult message. It's I'm not saying by any means that I want the job, that it's an easy job to kind of figure out, okay, well, how are we going to push out this message to make America healthier? But speaking of healthy, getting into today's topic, I want to talk about, and I did a poll on this on Instagram, Mm -hmm. is coffee healthy? Yes or no? And the majority of people, like a lot of people answered it and 95% said coffee is healthy. And I will start by saying in my eyes, based on the available research that we have, which is pretty good, I don't see a downside to coffee. And here's why. There's a uh, there's a paper from 2018 that looked at the effects of coffee drinking and all-cause mortality. And it found that drinking coffee has an inverse association with mortality and disease, meaning that the more coffee that you drink anywhere between, they looked at anywhere between one and eight cups of coffee daily, The more coffee you drink or you report that you drink, the lower, that's the inverse association, the lower your risk for all-cause mortality and disease. And that is what that showed. And this study used a giant cohort. It looked at 500,000 people, so half a million people, sampled from the UK Biobank cohort, which is a cohort. Every country has, like France has like their, uh, I forget, we have NHANES. Right mm-hmm. in the U.S., we use NHANES data, and there's a few others that we use. And uh, I think France uses like it's like it's called like NutriSense or something like that. I know that there was a study on like cancer, and we talked about that study, Nicole, cancer mm-hmm. and processed foods. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so they use this cohort, and essentially what they found is coffee is associated with a lower incidence of type two diabetes, a lower incidence of fatty liver disease, which we know is a big problem a lower incidence of colon cancer, liver cancer, and many other serious health risks. And there are a a couple of reasons why. And what's actually interesting, though, is they looked at the different polymorphisms with different people and how they are able to handle coffee. So then, Nicole, this goes into, and I actually thought about you with this, because Mm -hmm. I think you and I have different polymorphisms when it comes to coffee. And this Mm -hmm. is this is they tested it and they found all across all genetic variances or the two genetic variances when it comes to caffeine metabolism, they -hmm. still found those benefits. And those two genetic variances, there's a a difference in the cytochrome P450 gene where two individuals, one has one mutation of that and the other has another mutation of that. Both of those individuals are going to metabolize caffeine either faster or slower. So Mm -hmm. depending on which variant you have, 
you may be more or less sensitive to caffeine. One variant will help you metabolize caffeine faster, in which case you'll be less sensitive to caffeine. And another one makes you metabolize caffeine slower, which means it's going to be active in your system for longer and you're going to be more sensitive. So those are people that generally experience anxiety when it comes to drinking coffee and they can't handle more than maybe a cup of coffee or maybe they'll do decaf or maybe they need to do half calf, right? Mm -hmm. This is why it's kind of an explanation for why there's a difference in how people respond to caffeine is because some people based on this gene mutation are metabolizing it either faster or slower. So they tested both of these subtypes and they found the benefits are all across the, the board. Now, interestingly enough, the benefits aren't just because of caffeine. The benefits are beyond caffeine because decaf also is shown to have positive benefits. And the reason why coffee is beneficial for your health, coffee is a plant. So it shares many of the same benefits as other plants because they contain polyphenols and phytochemicals that are beneficial for the immune system. These phytochemicals are also beneficial for antioxidant pathways and detoxification. So that's where you get a lot of like the, you're getting rid of um, uh, free radicals that can be, uh, that cause, that can cause like you know, changes in DNA replication. Um, you, you can get like cancer cells, things like that. Right. So if you don't have enough antioxidants that puts you at a higher risk for things like cancer, um, and also repair of cells and mitochondrial health, there's a lot autophagy coffee health aids in, in autophagy. So there's a lot that's going on when it comes to coffee and coffee is actually also shown to be anti-inflammatory. And now what we find with coffee is that Roasting it is what actually activates the polyphenols. So the darker the roast, the higher the concentration of beneficial plant chemicals. However, generally, now this kind of may change from bean to bean, right? Not every bean is going to have the same amount of caffeine. But generally speaking, if you have the same bean, the lighter roast, and you, you roast it lightly versus dark roast, the lighter roast is going to contain more caffeine. So depending on what you're looking for from your coffee, if you're looking for more of a boost, you might want to have something that's roasted on the lighter side. If you're looking for, you know, more of the kind of health benefits of coffee, then you're going to be looking for maybe a meat. I, I, I like medium and it's just, it's a good taste. It's not too strong. And it kind of gives me the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually in Japan, what we find is that uh, coffee is actually the primary dietary source of phytochemicals in habitual coffee drinkers. So out of like everything, like fruits, vegetables, the, the polyphenols, the phytochemicals that they're getting, uh, they're getting mostly from coffee. If there are people who regularly drink coffee, it accounts for 40% of polyphenols in the Japanese diet and 70% of, uh, phenolic acids consumed in the diet in regular coffee drinkers. And interestingly, I actually looked at the stats too on the number of people that drink coffee. This estimated how many people that drink coffee. Mm -hmm. So it's estimated that 1 billion people drink 2 billion cups of coffee daily. Well, America does run on Duncan. America runs. Well, Boston definitely runs on Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. But I mean, that's the step. Where do you think they get the slogan from? Yeah, I mean, the world runs on, on coffee, right? And you know what was cool is that actually that's actually shown to be more than uh, tea. 
in because they drink a lot of tea in Japan too. Mm-hmm. The other piece, there's another piece here, and this is where we get into the microbiome. Coffee also contains prebiotic fibers such as arabinoglactans and galactomannins that are shown to increase the number of bifidobacteria and bifidobacteria are responsible for butyrate production. They're a very high butyrate producer. Mm -hmm. Butyrate is that short chain fatty acid that is super beneficial for gut health. Uh, It helps to provide energy for the lining of your gut. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that is actually just absorbed and used directly by the intestinal lining. Uh, It helps with neurotransmitters. Some of those short chain fatty acids are small enough to cross the blood brain barrier uh, to help with brain health and help with that whole gut brain axis. Uh, And it helps with just overall health um, from, you know, whatever other standpoint I can, can't think of off the top of my head when it comes to, you know, with, uh, butyrate, but, um, super beneficial stuff. Uh, also there's a higher production. We find like, we look at mice that are given coffee beans and we see a higher production of, uh, uh, not only butyrate, but propionate and acetate, which are also beneficial to other organs. So a lot of good stuff going on with coffee here. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer on this because this is where context, Nicole, where Mm -hmm. we're talking about context. It really depends how you drink your coffee, because I don't want somebody to think about like, okay, cool. So my caramel macchiato that I get from (laughs) Starbucks in the morning, I'm good. Because if you look at, for example, gut health, Mm -hmm. right? we we have some data that shows that uh, over consuming sugar and over consuming fructose, especially can disrupt the microbiome, right? So you've got this kind of these things that are are almost crossing each other out, right? Yeah. And we also know that if you're over consuming calories, mm-hmm. then that isn't healthy, right? And that it, you, you know, oh, you over consume calories that is associated with a higher BMI, higher BMI is associated with cancer, right? So and many other things, right? Systemic inflammation, all these things. Mm-hmm. So the point that I'm trying to make is Oftentimes, when people overconsume calories, a lot of times it's in the form of a drink and it's coming from their coffee. So mm-hmm. it's very important. Like, I'm not saying you have to drink your coffee black. I drink my coffee with almond milk every morning. But if you're dumping sugar and you're dr- dumping syrup into <laughs> your coffee, that's counterintuitive to any benefit. So don't think that you're doing the right thing and being healthy by mm-hmm. drinking a white chocolate mocha or whatever the fuck it is you're drinking. <laughs> you and your white chocolate. Listen, I'm I'm all for... um. You just just once you got to do it once and i haven't done it this season you got to do a pumpkin spice latte at least once mm-hmm. when the season comes when it hits in october yeah. but if you're if you're drinking them on the way to work every day which is what people do yes or they they're at work and they do like the group orders yes that's a problem yep so context is everything on that standpoint now from a workout perspective caffeine is also one of the most researched ergogenic aids it's in we did that top five we did yeah. that episode yeah so it, caffeine is in that top five yeah along with like creatine protein protein a couple other things in there yeah. uh maybe citrulline malate was in there um and uh beta alanine might have been in there too that might have been was that five i don't know but anyway caffeine is in that list of ergogenic aids it is a central nervous system stimulant it's shown to increase power output strength and fatigue resistance um it's usually effective in dosages of 200 to 300 milligrams which is about two to three cups of coffee tolerance do we want to talk about tolerance nicole 
Yes, we should talk about that. So caffeine tolerance, I think really where it's really going to matter in terms of like from what we just talked about, the workout perspective is that over time you're going to develop a tolerance if you're drinking it every single day. Yeah. Uh, And I am guilty of being a habitual coffee, having a ton, especially during school, during the it's like I, I can't without it, even though. I know that even if I take a day off mm-hmm. that following day is going to be, I think a world of a difference, right? Caffeine tolerance is very easy to Build get up. rid of. It's get or- it's very easy to get rid of, right? It what only takes mean- a few, a couple oh, of days just off. Stop of drinking it. And then, yeah. Oh, I got you. I got you. Right. Yeah. You can do a week with no caffeine. Yeah. And you reset and you're good to go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, caffeine is interesting the way that caffeine actually works. So caffeine is, um, essentially what happens is we have like adenosine triphosphate, which is an energy. That's our body's currency for energy. And, um, we end up with, as we kind of metabolize things and go through these kind of energetic processes, we end up with this buildup of adenosine and that adenosine goes into what's called the adenosine receptor. Uh, and that makes us more and more tired as the day goes by. And that's important to do that because we're supposed to be tired by the end of the day. Now, what caffeine does is caffeine actually goes into that receptor. And I think we talked about a little bit about this when we talked about migraines, mm-hmm. but caffeine goes into that adenosine receptor because it fits because it's molecularly like shaped in the same way. So it'll go into that uh, receptor and it'll block adenosine from coming in. And that is what is stopping you from getting more tired, but it's also stimulating your central nervous system. So it's a stimulant and it's also uh, increasing dopamine sensitivity and it's also increasing adrenaline. So that is what's obviously helpful in your workout too, is it's giving you that Mm -hmm. kind of fight or flight response. And then you're going into your workout and you're crushing your workout because you're in that kind of sympathetic nervous system. The problem is when you're over consuming it, you, if you're somebody who's already overly sympathetic, Mm -hmm. that may be an issue for you. Uh, and then what I'll say is for most people, you need to stop drinking coffee like anywhere from like 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. to make sure that you get a good night's sleep. Because even if you're that person that can sleep mm-hmm. when you drink coffee late, which I am one of those, it still has the potential to disrupt your sleep quality. So I think it's important to cut the coffee on the earlier side. Yeah. And that's Agreed. coffee. Coffee. I mean, listen, is it healthy? There's lots of great qualities to coffee, but I think it just depends on the person. It does. But I think overall, you know, I look at it like this. People don't eat adequate fruits and vegetables. They don't get adequate polyphenols and phytochemicals. Uh, So coffee is a major source for a lot of people. Mm. I see no downside when it comes to coffee, unless you're Nicole and you have the, (laughs) the other gene that makes you metabolize caffeine a lot slower. Well, I, for me, I mean, coffee never bothered me when I was younger. As I got older, coffee definitely is a different. And this is the other thing that I think is important. You, What works for you at one age may slowly start to change as you get older. So you have to start. That's why the questions to me are so important. If you're someone that becomes more sensitive to coffee or notices that your body's like, I wasn't sleeping. So I started asking myself, what could it be? Take out coffee and then I can sleep. You you have to really start paying attention to what your body's responses are to things. And I'm not an over drinker. I would barely have a cup, sometimes not even every day. And it still really bothered me. 
So you, and that was as I got older. So you have to really pay attention to it. I think everything has a good and a bad or positive and negative, depending on how well, you we'll call it. them pros and cons. Pros, pros and cons. And cons. It's a better way. Yeah. It's the same thing, but yeah, that's fair. All right. So let's move along to sugar. Nicole. Yes. Sugar. I guess the way that I would word this question is, is sugar unhealthy? And <laughs> we're we're gonna get and we're gonna get into a couple of different we'll look at different scenarios, we'll look at different types. So we're gonna look at I don't even know how to word this. So sugar is I wanna look at high fructose corn syrup, I wanna look at sucrose, and I wanna look at fruit sugar. Okay. So if I look at fruit uh if I look at sucrose, which is table sugar, that's okay. the uh, that's the, the white stuff that you'll scoop up into your uh into your coffee, or if you do like the um you know, sometimes people think the the raw sugar packets because they're brown, they're healthier. You know, the ones that they yeah. have at Starbucks. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's just unbleached. It's just marketing. It's the same thing, right? And what sucrose is, is it's literally, it's a glucose bound to a fructose, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the glucose and fructose are monosaccharides. You put them together, you end up with sucrose, which is table sugar. So you have half glucose and half fructose is 50% fructose and 50% glucose. And that is, that's table sugar. Now, if you look at fruit sugar, fruit sugar is also pretty much the same for most fruits, pretty much the same composition, 50% fructose, 50% glucose. We wouldn't go and say a fruit is bad for you. Although some people do, they say, oh, don't eat fruit. You're going to get fat. And we're going to get into the context of that too. Mm Mm-hmm whether or not sugar makes you fat. But now let's look at high fructose corn syrup because this is the one that gets demonized. And I have fallen into this trap before I knew better, before I looked at the research and before I looked at it from a practical sense. So high fructose corn syrup is, there's kind of two versions of it. So there's one that's 42% fructose and there's another one that's 55% fructose. So like 55, 45, and then 42, I can't do, you do the math, I don't know. That's what you're looking at with high fructose corn syrup. That's not far off from sucrose or the sugar that you'll find in in fruit, right? So oftentimes we demonize high fructose corn syrup. Well, it's in everything. Try and find stuff. You know, I talked recently on uh, my the story on Instagram about um, what's that guy's name? Flav City. Mm-hmm. I talked recently about him because one of the things that he'll do is go in. You know, people go into the store and say. Don't have this because it has high fructose corn syrup. Get this one that has just regular natural sugar in it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, it's the same fucking thing. The only reason why companies opt to use corn syrup versus using sugar is because it's cheaper. Because in America, one of the big things that we subsidize, we subsidize uh, mainly soy and corn, right? And so corn, a lot of these farmers, they can give away their crops and still earn a profit because the government pays so much money for these corn crops. So that allows high fructose corn syrup to be cheaper. And that's why all these uh, all these products, you know, these processed foods are using it. And the thought when it comes to the high fructose corn syrup is because it's higher in fructose, again, it's not higher in fructose when it comes to, um, you know, when you compare it to sucrose or fruit sugar, it's really pretty much the same composition. But the thought when it came to sugar intake was 
because of the way that fructose gets metabolized, which is different than glucose. So like all carbohydrates that you eat are pretty much going to break down into glucose and then go into your bloodstream and then insulin's going to pick it up and then insulin's going to take it to where it needs to go. Either it's going to be stored as glycogen in the liver and the muscles, or it's going to be used immediately as fuel, or uh, it can have a fate where it ends up being stored as fat, which we're going to get into that as well. Now, uh, Dr. Robert Lustig, um, I don't remember if he was from Harvard or MIT, but he was a pediatrician that talked a lot about this. And he talked about the way that fructose got metabolized and kind of was like, it, it's because it's getting metabolized differently that that's what's causing obesity and what's causing all these issues. So let me kind of break this down. So fructose doesn't stay as a carbohydrate or sugar. It In your liver, it gets metabolized into triglycerides. So it turns into fat. And then the thought process is, well, if fructose is being turned into fat, that must be what's making us fat. The problem with that argument is when we look at studies isocalorically, like let's say we look at a study in, let's say mice, for example, we have two different mice and both mice are eating at calorie maintenance or in a calorie deficit. There's no, there's no way like that's going to get burned off. You're not going to store those triglycerides as fat, right? So like one of the arguments with fructose is because of the way it gets uh, metabolized, it turns into triglycerides. That is what is contributing to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is a huge problem that we have. But mm -hmm. the issue with that is that, that it is in a calorie surplus. Like in order to store fat, period, the end, you have to be in a calorie surplus. You can't be at maintenance, you can't be in a deficit. So essentially what that's saying is you can pretty much eat. I'm not advising that people do this, but you can pretty much eat as much sugar as you want, as long as you're in maintenance calories or you're in a, a calorie deficit, as long as you're not in a surplus, mm -hmm. you're not going to see these adverse health effects, which leads me to believe that the majority of adverse health effects that we have are because people are overeating to begin with. Yes. But then we get into this, Nicole, is why are people overeating? Because the foods that are high in high fructose corn syrup and also high in sodium and also high in saturated fat, right? These are all the hyperpalatable foods. So it's not the fact that the sugar in the food is bad for you. It's the fact that the foods that contain sugar are very delicious and they're not really, <laughs> they're, and they're not satiating, right? They're not high in protein, right? Yeah. They're high in carbs and fat or carbs or fat or whatever variation you want to look at. Yeah. So they're easy to overeat. They're easy to overeat. And this is shown in studies where you give people, you give people food, you give them the same amount of food and you say, eat as much or as little as you want. And if one group has a processed diet and the other one has uh, a diet full with whole foods, mm -hmm. they're going to stop eating earlier. And what it's shown is on average, people who eat more processed foods will eat 500 calories additional per day. And yeah. if you're looking at maintenance calories, you're eating 500 calories above maintenance on any every single day if you're eating a ton of processed food. And then you add up the weight that you're gaining over years and years and years. And now you're obese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever hear of the cookie diet? Eat a cookie in the morning, a cookie in the afternoon, or a cookie at night. People were losing weight like all over the place. No, but where do I sign up? I know. <laughs> We've talked about this before because you say you say that every single time I bring it up. Do so I? I? Is that is that a every thing? single time you're like sign me up because the real loves cookies. 
But yeah, it's so if if you know, if it's sugar and fat, you can eat the cookie diet and lose weight. I mean, I guess that's, you know, something to be said for a calorie deficit, which we talk about so much. And I just don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. Like quality of food we talk about from a health standpoint, but quantity of food and energy deficit is what we talk about for weight loss. Like I it it's people overcomplicate so much and get so into all the little nuances of what they think they should be doing. And I say it probably 5,000 times a day. Don't eat past your calories. This is what you're supposed to be eating. Do not go past your calories. And they eat 100 calories over for seven days in the week. That's 700 calories over for the week that you should be eating. And you don't understand why you didn't lose weight. You do that for four weeks in a row. That's 2,800 calories over what you should be eating in a month. Like it's really that it simple. Ad, it, ad, it compounds. It adds up. Three months now, later, you can't understand why you're not losing weight. What I'll say is this. For the person who's listening to this podcast, who's potentially like, oh, well, that's bullshit because I cut out sugar and I lost a bunch of weight. Guess what? You cut calories. Buddy. You cut calories. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, when it comes but, to- But wait, hold on. Let me just finish that. You cut calories, which is why you lost weight. But the the more important piece to that is you also could- you're also healthier because you cut calories and lost weight, not because of the sugar that you stopped eating. It it all coincides with the fact that you're you are more optimal in terms of your health. So I feel like, again, people overthink, over question, overanalyze instead of just eat a good balanced diet of so- mostly healthy and, and some of the stuff that you love. Yeah, I mean, I have a goal. And I still ate a cookie today <laughs> because I didn't eat. Listen, do you know how many times this week I was stressed out and I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a slice of pizza or something. And I was like, no, Daron, stay on track. Mm-hmm. You can you, you can have your time this weekend. That's what I try yeah. to do is I try to save myself like a meal for the weekend. Yeah. Um, This weekend, I just did like today. I just did a whole day. I was like, you know what? I've been pacing. You're so funny because you are very kind of one you 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 save it i'm the diff- i'm the opposite i will have a little sprinkle of something every single day and stay within my calories and i'm still losing weight no like, I, you know i don't i know that some people might criticize i think it's a, the reason why i say that is it doesn't matter how well, you yeah, do it but here, here's my <laughs> point my point that i was trying to make is i think some people might criticize the fact that i like to earn it because they say well you shouldn't have to earn these calories but or that's this food. not what that that's not what you mean it's, it's not me, like you're to me to me this it's this it's like uh you know when you when you work on work on something like i've, I've had this before like where it's like i i took a really hard exam and i studied for months and months and months and then like afterwards i'm like you know what I'm going to celebrate with a cigar, right? So to me, it's mm-hmm. like that. Like I worked my ass Ooh, off. I love a good cigar. Right. I worked my ass off and I mm-hmm. earned the ability to just relax. And that's what it is with the food. Like, okay, well, I, I earned, I lost the weight that I needed to. I lost about a pound and a half this week. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. I'm going to enjoy some waffles today. I'm going to have some eggs. <laughs> Not some. I had a waffle. Um, it, did have blue, <laughs> it did have blueberries on it though, mm-hmm. um, which... But I've been getting into blueberries a lot. The blueberries are really good right now, and I normally mm-hmm. don't eat them. But I did. I, there is some some good information on blueberries and brain health and and getting your brain to work better. So they just I'm just delicious. I try to optimize. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I try to give my diet a purpose, but um, I try to optimize <laughs> on that leafy greens, blueberries, um, yeah. 
creatine, which we should probably do an episode on some of the research surrounding that that's coming out. Yeah, um, all right. So anyway, sugar is not bad for you. Context is everything like we talked about. Sugar is it's sugar. It's a carbohydrate. Every carb that you eat is going to break down into sugar. It's how you're using it in the context of your entire diet. Yes. So moving along, the last thing I want to talk about today is seed oils. Are seed oils healthy or unhealthy? And this is a huge one where context is literally everything. And here's why. We have these things called omega fatty acids. We have omega-3 and we have omega-6. And people know of omega-3 fatty acids because they're high in fish and sea algae and chia seeds will have ALA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. Flax seeds will have ALA, which is a plant-based omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, fatty acid. Interestingly, though, the omega-3 coming from plant sources isn't as bioavailable as it is if you're getting EPA or DHA. Uh, so actually, sea algae is a great like non-animal-based form of omega-3 fatty acids because it has the pre-converted version. It's not ALA. Uh, and what we actually find also is that ALA is more readily converted into the active form that you'll use uh, in women's bodies over men. So uh, women actually have the advantage of uh, e extracting basically more uh, omega-3s from plant sources than men can. Now, the omega-6 thing is, omega-6 is something that's found in a lot of refined seed oils, quote unquote, right? So like soybean oil, corn oil, vegetable oil, I think like safflower oil, so like all these different kind of seeds that we are making, that we're making oil out of. And now again, what do we subsidize, which we talked about, we subsidize soy in this country. So we make a lot of things with soybean oil because it's cheap to make. This is where the processed food's being cheap. That's where that comes in. Now, the when it comes to omega-3 and omega-6, it's about having a balance between the two. The reason why people say seed oils are inflammatory and they're bad for you is because omega-3 and omega-6, they have two different, they have like opposing, they're opposing forces, right? So omega-3 fatty acids decrease blood clotting, they decrease inflammation, they help to regulate your sleep-wake cycle in the opposite way that omega-6 does. Omega-6 increases inflammation and increases blood clotting, right? And when you look at cardiovascular risk, if somebody has too much omega-6 fatty acids, they have more blood clotting, they're more likely to have a myocardial infarction, which is a heart attack. If they have too much inflammation, that can lead to issues in the vascular system. This is where it can become a problem. Now, the problem isn't that omega-6, we need some omega-6, because when we look at inflammation and its important role in preventing infection, let's say I cut myself mm -hmm. and that becomes inflamed, that is protecting that cut from bacteria getting in, white blood cells are rushed to that area, right? That's the whole inflammatory response that you're getting, which is a good thing. The problem in America that we have is that we consume very little omega-3s and we consume a ton of omega-6 fatty acids. Now, the ratio that's, it's like thought that people are eating like as high as a 40 to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 when what we want to do is have a one-to-one -one or max like a four-to-one of omega-6 to omega-3. So yeah. there's a huge disparity there. This is where the context comes in though, because if you look at the context of somebody's diet, I'll give you the perfect example. Like there's research that will show that if you replace saturated fat with soybean oil, you have lower risk for uh, negative 
cardiovascular consequences or outcomes, right? So um, if you have like saturated fat, we know increases LDL cholesterol, which is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And we know that if you replace saturated fat with certain seed oils, particularly soybean oil, we'll say in this example, you end up with a better lipid profile, right? So is the seed oil bad for you? I mean, in this context, I would say the seed oil is better than you overconsuming saturated fat. But the overall message that seed oils are bad for you, I think is the wrong message. I think generally speaking, people are overconsuming. Again, it goes to the processed food aspect. People are overconsuming processed foods and therefore they're consuming too much omega-6 fatty acids. And that may be what's causing an inflammatory environment inside of their bodies. If you're eating mostly whole foods, this is where I get like people who follow these people are generally more health conscious, right? The people that are talking about don't have refined seed oils. These people are generally more health conscious. Now, if these people are already eating whole foods, why are you worried about the seed oils? It's not going to affect you're eating whole foods. You're taking an omega-3 supplement. You're making sure you're eating fish twice a week. In that case, why you shouldn't be worried. You get what I'm saying? So this is where it gets into context is everything. Yeah, but we just finished saying that people overthink and over worry and over stress over the little things. And so if you are eating mostly healthy diet, you don't have to kind of sweat the small stuff. But if you're and then you have the other end of the spectrum, if you have someone that's, you know, eight cups of coffee a day, overeating and overeating sugar and and unhealthy fats, you're that's a recipe for disaster. So it's not one or the other. It's overconsumption and then balance. I mean, that's basically the end of the sentence for each of these these the three things that we're talking about today, coffee, sugar and um, seed oils is if you're over consuming even healthy stuff and overconsumption can cause trouble down the line. Right. You have to be more conscious about balance. You have to ask the right questions and you have to pay attention to what your health markers are like when you go to the doctors and you find out where your cholesterol is and you see what things may need to change, then you make changes that are necessary and you pivot if things are out, are out of balance. Like I had higher cholesterol and poor lipid profile when I was in my 20s than I do now. And that's just because I was severely underweight. So I wasn't obese. I was severely underweight. I was eating too little and I just wasn't taking my taking care of my body from a stress standpoint. So, you know, you have to, it all depends on what is part of the lifestyle. And it's not just food and exercise. There's so many other parts to that. As I got older, I learned about my, my body more. You ask the right questions and you start paying attention to what feels good and what doesn't. You go and get your blood done and you check, you make changes, you go back and check, you make more changes, you go back and check. And then you figure it out. And I, I also think that's the responsibility of the individual too. like pay attention. Yeah, I think it's I think it's hard because I, I think people are misinformed oftentimes. So it's hard well, for me. Well, here's the thing. Let me say this. It's hard for me as a coach of, of people to just say, well, 
like you and i used to just say like yeah man people just need to take ownership like i wish i could just send them to the fucking military and have them come back with discipline but well, it's no. not about that i i think i think oftentimes people are misinformed and i it's hard with so much information out there to to tell somebody that you know they have to be i i would love for people to be their own advocates when it comes to nutrition and health and fitness and the difficulty that we get here is that because there's so much information, it's really hard and people get confused and they're relying on quote unquote experts. But a lot of the experts that they're looking at, quote unquote, are somebody with zero background at all that's on social media that has a million followers that it's like, oh, well, what he sounds, what he's saying makes sense. Right. So I, I just think it's it's hard. It's a difficult conversation. Yeah. Well, I've also sent clients to their doctors, their primary care doctors, and the doctors don't do the blood work that they need. So, I mean, you get, there's good and bad in every situation in terms of, of misinformation or not getting the answers that you want. I guess my point is when it comes to taking ownership, you know, a lot of people don't ask questions. It, I'm not saying that you're going to know all the information or that you have to learn everything and know everything. But you do have to start asking questions. It's like when we talk about people that are, you know, don't uh, have clients. I don't even want to know what my blood work is. Well, we have to have a conversation about that because you kind of want to take a look at things now. And let's just let's get a baseline. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's step into your power and take control and look and, and ask questions. If it's not from your primary care doctor or your cardiologist or wh whoever your tribe of support and experts in your world are, then you, you may need to do some research and, and look around and, and poke into trying some new things or hire a coach to help you navigate that. Just because you won't have all the answers doesn't mean you shouldn't ask questions. And it doesn't mean that you have to take ownership and know everything. As you get older, you're the only one really in control of what your body is going to, you know, can and can't do in terms of being optimal and healthy. So I think it is important for people to start really paying attention. Yeah. I'll just say, just pay attention to the Eat Right podcast and uh, you're good to go. <laughs> but, That's um, a great statement. You know, I'll go what, with that. What I'll say, Nicole, something that you said earlier with, uh, you know, in regards to the context is like the perfect example, like you said, it's not just your food and your exercise. Yeah. And it's kind of like if I look at the negative consequences, sleep is one of the biggest things, right? The negative consequences of sleep, if you are... Uh, sleep deprived, no amount of caffeine is going right. to help you, right? It's it's not like, oh, well, I drink coffee, so I'm healthy. Well, no, you need to incorporate all the other lifestyle factors. Essentially, what happens is when we're looking at certain like dietary patterns, exercise, your sleep, are you a smoker? Right? Do you move enough? Like all of these things, we're saying, okay, we're just trying to balance out risk factors, right? And say, well, how much risk do you have for developing a certain disease? And genetics play a role into it too, right? Genetically, how much risk do you have? Uh, how is your sleep going to affect you? Like, are those genes going to be expressed through your behaviors, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we're looking at. And context is everything when it comes to whether or not you are going to be healthy. You can't, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know the term I'm looking like, burn the candle on. No, that's not the term, but you can't, <laughs> you, you can't be, you know, like fucking up in one area of your life and then trying to make up with it. Oh, well, you know, I'll just eat more vegetables uh, on the other end. Right. So 
this is where context is important for us to realize that when it comes to certain nutrients, like they're not like the sugar, for example, it's not going to be good or bad. It's going to be the context of your entire diet. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely agree. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, that is coffee, which I've been meaning to do for a while, sugar and seed oils. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 